0: Welcome to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode, I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. Scene to Song now has a Patreon, and I've already released bonus material there. Thank you to those who have already supported Scene to Song. My guest today is Patrick Flynn. Patrick is a Helen Hayes Award-nominated playwright and award-winning filmmaker based in Washington, D.C. His plays are available through Concord Theatricals, Dramatic Publishing, and Theatrical Rights Worldwide. His podcast, The Original Cast, was named one of the seven standout theater podcasts by Playbill, and his book, Visual Literacy, a practical text on the analysis, history, and creation of visual media is available from Kendall Hunt. He is a professor at American University and Catholic University and a member of the Dramatist Guild. We're going to talk today about musicals whose scores outshine their books. Patrick, it's so great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, O'Shawn. It's great to be here.
0: Excited to have a conversation about musical theater, yes. so yes, yes. yes. We'll get right into our get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with a musical?
1: My first experience with a musical probably was Godspell when I was 10 years old at Slazian High School in Wilmington, Delaware, where I grew up. Uh, it's certainly the first one that I saw that grabbed me, you know, by the shoulders and would not let go um it absolutely blew me away and it, yeah it just just rocked me to my very core it's still a great show i think um and it was also the a, a very early experience with me cuz i i went home after the show and was was just raving about it to my parents and they got out their lp of the cast album and gave it to me and i was so excited to listen to it on my little fisher price record player because i loved the opening song Uh, Tower of Babel so much and I couldn't wait to hear it again and then it wasn't on the cast album because it wasn't and uh, then became Furious and that was my first experience with that (laughs) phenomenon also which is an important phenomenon for every musical theater fan to go through that the song you really wanted to hear isn't on the album Um, hard lesson learned Uh, but I moved on obviously I stuck with it I didn't give up on the art
0: form (laughs) what was the last great musical you saw
1: the last great musical I saw, luckily, was Strange Loop at Woolly Mammoth here in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I mean, it is remarkable. Um, if you're in New York and you haven't seen it, go, because it's closing in January. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, an incredibly intense, personal, specific, and yet wonderfully general show uh, that anyone can relate to. Um and I, yeah, absolutely knocked me. I was absolutely blown away by it at, at Woolly. It was, it was incredible on its pre-Broadway, you know, on the way to Broadway tour. It was, it was so good. God, it was good.
0: What is a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised?
1: I think the actual answer to that question is Heather's, um, which I absolutely adore. I think it's a, it's a amazing accomplishment. One of the best movie to musical adaptations that's ever been been made um, because it improves on the original film which I don't know the last time or if you've ever seen the original 1980s Heathers movie <laughs> it does not age great. Um, yeah. It's still very funny I mean it's very it's still you know very of its time and very uh, but but the whole concept of uh, school violence has really changed since uh, since that film came out and the musical does an excellent job of coping with that. I think, Mm -hmm. and the sort of weirder and darker elements get the respect they deserve. It also really digs into the secondary characters, which the movie is not interested in at all. Mm -hmm. uh, And has just some absolutely beautiful and, and heartbreaking songs like Kindergarten Boyfriend and Our Love is God and uh, The Rowboat. I mean, there's just these, which you wouldn't expect out of something that sort of looks like Legally Blonde or Mean Girls on the outside, Mm -hmm. but on the inside is a really like dark and kind of tortured uh, musical about adolescence. And it's really, it's so good. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so good.
0: Oh, wow. You just really sold me on the show because I kind of avoided it because I didn't like the movie and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize like how Different it was. <laughs> I I, I was
1: the same way. Yeah, it's wildly different.
0: What moves you the most in a musical theater piece and why?
1: That's a wonderful question and a huge one. And I think that the thing musical theater does better than any other dramatic art form is the the theme of redemption. Mm-hmm. There's something about least for my favorite moments of shows, tend to be moments where characters are given a second chance to do the right thing in and do, which is obviously something that's in, in all dramatic forms has those sorts of things. But there's something about the way that the music in those moments can really bring you to life. And it's it's no, no, no wonder, I think, that it's usually when... One character who is alive is talking to another character who is dead, and which is a convention in movies that can get very schlocky and in books can get very abstract. But in theater, when they're right there in front of you, it you know you you don't have any of those special effects separations. And then the music adds on another level where it drops, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit further, so it brings the ghost into full. Fruition. There's stuff. I mean, the end of Into the Woods, where the baker and the baker's wife with the baby is a great example of this. Um, uh, Telephone wire from Fun Home, Mm -hmm. which is just a heartbreaking, gorgeous moment of theater. Where I mean, it's it it, it, a character gets a chance to confront another character as an adult, which which she never had. Um, Memory song from Strange Loop, as we talk about, which is sort of a a a recollection of that's self redemption. I think self forgiveness, mm. which is really, really an interesting concept. And the, the big one for me, which is um, how could I ever know from secret garden, which just mm. like absolutely levels me every single time. Very underappreciated show though. People are talking about a lot at the moment because Lucy right. Simon just passed away.
0: Um, what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to?
1: Uh, I didn't realize how good of a song and a theatrical moment finishing the hat was until I was much older. It's it's, a, it's my favorite musical, "Sunny in the Park with George. It's my favorite moment in that musical. And I always liked the song. I mean, everybody does. And everybody used to talk about how brilliant finishing the hat is. And it is. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize until I was older, until I even – even I, I performed it as, as you know audition song and, and cabarets and things – I I didn't realize how good it was because of the lyrics. I mean, obviously Stephen Sondheim is the greatest musical theater lyricist probably ever, but what he does in finishing the hat is remarkable because the, the word George is a character who says in the next scene, you know, why do you insist you must hear the words when you know, I cannot give you words. He's not good with words. And you've got the man who's the best with words writing for the man who's not good with words. And instead of succumbing to the natural predilection, which would be like, well, it's a song and it's a soliloquy. He can be eloquent in this song Mm -hmm. and it's fine. Sondheim, as he always was stuck to the character, was true to the character and underwrites the song Mm -hmm. and has him stick to this metaphor of a window that he just he, he can't explain it better than that. He It's like listening to somebody go like, well, it's like a window. And then he like talks for a few minutes, more minutes. He's like, it's like a window. Like he just, he tries over and over again to like say mm-hmm. the right thing. And he just can't, he can't say it. And at the end, he just holds up the thing and says, look, I made a hat. Like, that's it. This is what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. if you don't get it, you don't get it. And I think one of the beautiful things is like, you kind of don't get it. You're like, yeah, but. You're a terrible boyfriend, like a really, really bad boyfriend, like a really bad boyfriend, dude, yeah. and uh, and a bad bad person. Like you're not not a great friend. You're not you're not great. But he, I think w- w- that's a moment that again, you wouldn't in in a in a stage play in a movie where you'd have a character, even if he was delivering a monologue or a soliloquy to the audience stumbling over his words, it would get annoying. It could get we'd feel like Dot does. We'd feel that like you know, that like, why don't you just say what you're feeling? Whereas sometimes music lets him express it in a way that makes it a joy to listen to. And so we really hear what he's saying, even though it's it's nothing. He doesn't have anything to say, but he's still got music in him and he still is a man with something to express. It's just in his art, not in his words. And a lesser writer would really have succumbed to the temptation to like write a really good song there.
2: Mm.
1: And I think the, the genius and the the thing that makes Sondheim better than everybody else is he knew when to hold back his own abilities Mm. because it suited the character.
0: Yeah. No, I love that description of the song. That's really cool to think about. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Let's move on to our topic, which is scores that outshine the book. Yes. And, why don't we start with um kind of this quote that you um introduced when you we were talking about this topic that a good book and a bad score runs longer than a bad book and a good score
1: yeah that that is an I don't know who said that first that's an adage I'd heard a few times um which I don't know if it 100% applies the way it used to. I mean, this is from the quote unquote golden age of of of, uh, of Broadway, um, where just the idea that, you know, nobody walks out of the theater humming the book.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: if you don't have a really good book, your show isn't going to work. And it's the most overlooked part of any musical. And I think you talk to any person who's just a, who only writes the book, Um, Mm -hmm. They will tell you that they will say, but they will also, you've talked to any composer, lyricists worth their salt, and they will tell you, you need like a book, a good book writer will save your life. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the book, it's also important to say we're not just talking about the dialogue, the book also encompasses the dramatic structure of the evening of how the scenes are put together. I mean, Lin-Manuel won a Tony for the book of Hamilton. Tim Rice won a Tony for the book of Evita. There's barely a spoken word in that entire thing. But what that was really, the American theater wing was rewarding is the dramatic structure of the show, how well-crafted that show, uh, both of those shows are. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: if you don't have that, if your book is a mess, it doesn't matter how good your score is. And there's some scores out there that are are awesome like absolutely awesome and they get put out on cast albums and people go, God, this show's amazing we should do this show and then they do the show and they go, why isn't this show good like you know why isn't it working or you know they hear these cast albums they go this show should have run for a thousand years why did it close after only nine performances because well mm. it wasn't really the evening wasn't as tight as it sounds on the album you know it, it has a whole other whole other you know element to it.
0: Yeah, maybe the show should actually just be like more of a concert <laughs> of the, of the right. score.
1: Right, That You see it happen sometimes with like, encore. well, when Encores used to do stuff like this, where they would yeah. do stage readings of shows that no one had ever done before, and the audience would die and love it and stuff, and then they would occasionally mount revivals of these shows that would just, you know, immediately, or people would not mount revivals of it, knowing that like, mm. yeah, yeah, it was great. But trust me, like as a full evening of theater, this isn't like there's a reason you haven't heard of Drat the Cat or whatever, you know, like <laughs> for many, many years because uh, it just isn't yet yeah, got some bangers in it. And we did It's it. The comedy was great when it was just us standing at mics with uh, with folders. But man, you put this thing up for real. It's going right. to fall apart really quickly. <laughs>
0: Right. And I think this gets into like an interesting question or discussion on just like the different elements of a musical and like how they're working together, like book and score or even like breaking it down even further, like book, music and lyrics and Mm -hmm. like how how separate are they really or how much do they overlap really? And like, can you separate these things and like It sounds like maybe you can because, I mean, the book and score are usually talked about as separate things.
1: Right. Which is, I mean, you can physically separate them, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it's very doable. And the further back in history you go, the easier it is to separate Mm -hmm. them because it is usually scene, song, and then maybe little dialogue at the beginning of the song Maybe if you're lucky, the song sort of organically emerges from the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But very often the songs were separate because the songs were going to be hits. Like that's where we got our hits from until like the mid 60s. They were from Broadway shows. And, you know, and even in that case, if you had something like Carousel's, the the bench scene, the if, If I Loved You sequence, which mm-hmm. is famous famous for being very innovative and being a scene with a song inextricably interwoven, they would pull the song parts out, rearrange it and record that, you know, so you just right. get the song. You don't worry about the words. Um, so you can separate them and people do separate them and they're usually written mm-hmm. by different people. So that's also like they are obviously created at different moments. But the show is... You know, the script for the show, the text for the show is, is both of them. But it's to to the score and the book, you know, music, lyrics and and script all slam together. Right. Um, and, you know, which is why when you win the Pulitzer Prize for writing a musical, all three of those jobs get the award because they are all doing it.
0: Yeah. And I guess also, like, we talk about more of like a concept show or, a you know, or a book mm-hmm. that is not like maybe like hair or you know Mm -hmm. something that or company maybe that's not your like a typical book right um but yet that still is a book that has to be good and like what if it what does that mean i guess like to have a good book that's in that kind of vein
1: sure so for hair hair is an, an interesting one because it was described even at the time as a bookless musical mm-hmm. um, in 1968. And that is not true, having done Hair. There are scenes. I had to memorize right. lines to be in that show. Like, it, But the book, what the Book of Hair does is um, bind all of the songs together in a unified direction. There is a mm-hmm. build to that show. We start with the dawning of the Age of Aquarius. We meet all the characters in the tribe. We then introduce the central conflict, which is whether or not Claude is going to burn his draft card. We lead to the B in where he uh, at the end of, of act one, where he questions his own sort of existence. Act two, we jump back in and then we go on the acid trip with him. And that's a whole section of the show, you know, and then we end in the finale where he actually goes off to Vietnam. And if you don't have that idea underpinning everything, it just becomes a a, a, a a concert about moods, basically, which is mm-hmm. one kind of show. I mean, you can do that show. But the reason Hair was as successful as it was, I believe, is not only that the album was a tremendous seller and the score is an absolute banger, but because when you see Hair, there are characters with dilemmas and arcs and conflict, and we care about them and we care enough to spend mm-hmm. two hours in the theater with them. Uh right. company's interesting because Company, <laughs> in my opinion, does not have a great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen Company seven or eight times. And the only time the book has made sense to me is on the most recent Broadway revival, when I saw that, when the, the, the gender identities were flipped around. And I suddenly went, oh, this makes a lot more sense. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. It just sort of all... It was like this is this is kind of making sense to me right now. I'm kind of getting what the problem is here. Um, it, it, you know, the, the scenes don't all hang together in Company uh, mm-hmm. as well as you might think, but it doesn't matter because they're they're scene lits, and yeah. ultimately, it is a good book. Ultimately, because it has excellently drawn characters, and. It, it moves around in a free association kind of way, but I'm never lost. I never forget who anybody is. Everyone's very distinct. I understand all the relationships to Bobby. So I, I, I kind of quibble with company's book on a scene by scene basis, but overall George Firth did do a very good job and deserved the Tony award he got. And mm-hmm. it is a, yeah, it, it, it does does really well. Now, merrily we roll along, the other George Firth, Stephen Sondheim effort, <laughs> on the other hand, Uh, is a is is a quintessential example to me of a show that people listen to that album, which is, I mean, honestly, possibly the greatest cast album ever produced. It it may be Thomas Z. Shepard's achievement in capturing that score. Hmm. You know, is the reason that show survives, and he crafts a kind of son like an audio play almost. He puts in a lot of dialogue to like sort of. Get us through it, and uh, but it's just it. it, You have a central thematic problem, which is we're telling the story as the as the choreographer Ron Field, who was fired from the original Broadway production, said: "How good could it be? It's still backwards. (laughs) It it is. We're telling a story in reverse for no clear reason. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's no." I don't understand why we're telling the story backwards because when we get to the end, there isn't like a greater point about, you know, life lived forward, but understood backward. There's none of that. There's no mystery that I'm trying to solve. We are told at the, at the beginning of the show, at the end of the run that Frank is a jerk. And then we see evidence of that for two hours (laughs) where he gets like to be slightly less of a jerk as the evening goes on but the score is amazing. The score is absolutely amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely amazing. I, I guess I'm, I do agree with everything about the book, but I also, the show always just worked for me. So it's hard Mm -hmm. to, it's hard to separate that. And maybe because I saw it before listening to it and just kind of like went in
1: cold
0: and was just like, this is the show. But yeah, it's like, Intellectually, like everything pe- you and other people have said about the book, I'm like, yeah, that that's absolutely right. Like that is a that is an issue, <laughs> but yet still emotionally, maybe I guess I um, I'm on that journey with them. So it's always worked for me. But I the last time I saw it, which was like in 2019, I guess uh, production in New York, the person I was with, like that was their first time seeing it, and they said basically something. To the effect of what you said which was that you know he expected there to be something that tied the scenes together more that to to the, a reason to be going backwards mm-hmm. like if I, I can't remember if memento was the movie he <laughs> he referenced yeah. but it's like something and you know we're in a post memento world now but like <laughs> something that um you know tied like, oh, like something from that scene connects to this scene and that's why this is happening. And, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think you need
1: that. I see that point. I don't think you yeah. need that necessarily. You don't need to meet right. that. Directly. I mean, the thing about Memento is that people often forget is that Memento is running forwards and backwards at the same time. There's, there are yeah. scenes that run forwards and there are scenes that run backwards. And then the end of the movie meets in the middle. So right. there is a dramatic thrust forward-moving dramatic thrust on top of the backwards story. And the reason that story is told backwards is because the main character has that memory disorder. Right. So we join scenes knowing as much as he does. So it does mm-hmm. an excellent job of putting us in that scene. And then we see how he got there right. to the previous scene. You know what I mean? So we're, we are constantly in his head, but the movie does build in, in both directions at once. And then the finale meets in the middle. And we learn about how tragic his life actually is. The thing about Merrily is we open, you know, the, the big rule of not just musicals, but movies and anything. So you, you meet your main characters at the beginning. We establish our relationships and we establish our tone and then we go. And when we meet our main character, I mean, this really is a musical about three friends and the big flaw at the beginning of the show is that the first proper scene is between two of those friends and the third one isn't there. And we are supposed to feel the absence of the third friend. Right. And we don't because we haven't met him yet. You know, like it's a, and then we meet, they do do a nice job of then having the next scene be. So the first scene's with Mary and Frank at Frank's party. Then we go back in time a little bit and it's Mary and Charlie. And then Frank comes in. So we mm-hmm. do get some Charlie time right at the top. But by that point, we, we we're, we're, the game is sort of over. You've missed your moment here. We needed to introduce that character earlier and so that we knew we'd like him because we don't really get to like Charlie until Franklin Shepard, Inc., which, again, mm-hmm. is a bonkers, wonderful song, like, it's absolutely incredible, wonderful piece of theater. I got to see Ralla Esparza do it at the Kennedy Center in 2002 and wouldn't change that experience for the world. That was mm-hmm. amazing. But... There's no earthly reason that the musical as a story needs to be told backwards except for irony, you know, cause the end kind of ends up being like, huh? Okay. huh, it's Sad. Right. Yeah. Anyway, have a good day. You know, like there's no, it's it's not like Frank is going backwards through his life, trying to figure out where he messed up. Right. And like he eventually gets to the moment where he's like, Oh, if I'd done this differently or if I'd done that differently and then discovers, Well, no. Like it's actually death by a thousand cuts. I made a lot of little mistakes, and that's why I ended up being so unhappy. But that's not the show. That is not the show I just described. It's not the show that you see. The show you see is these three friends start out as not friends and then run backwards, and we run to the moment they three of them became friends in a gorgeous song again with our time. But dramatically, like by that point, I don't care and they fidgeted with it so I'll be really interested to see what happens with the new off-broadway revival and the film if it's ever completed When whenever that comes out
0: it's so interesting because like how I mean I assume like when they were writing that show they were working so closely together like how do these yeah it's just the relationship between book and score like how do these amazing songs like still come out of something that doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure.
1: I think... Well, part of it is, I think, with Merrily specifically, I think it was the fact that they all... It's one of those things where the show has the gimmick, it runs backwards, and they all understood that.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
1: Like, intellectually, like Firth, Prince, and, and Sondheim all understood what the thing was. And so it didn't seem like a problem to them, because it was run... Yeah. Like, it runs backwards. That's what it is. So... Right. Of course, it runs backwards. And it really... I mean, if you watch the documentary on Netflix of best worst thing that ever could have happened. They talk about how like they thought they were producing the biggest hit of the eighties right up until the first preview. Mm-hmm. And when they put it in front of a group of people for the first time, there was finally this sense of like, Oh no, we've made it. Like people don't get this at all. And yeah. I think it's the danger of like high concept musicals, movies, books, whatever, where you know what the game is as the writer. So you don't do a great job explaining it because you don't understand. It just doesn't occur to you that people wouldn't get it. They would not get what's happening in the scene. Right. You know what's happening in the scene, and I can. I, the great lesson of that show to me is it can happen to anybody at any point. <laughs> you know, like those those guys were all pros. They'd done lots of shows. They knew what they were doing, and they just. And I think also a lot of them were taken in by how great the score was. I think that Prince was the, if you watch them talk about it, they're just like, they're Steve was writing a score. They all loved the score he was writing. It was great. It was fun. There was a lot of energy. They were really happy. You know, it was just like, they didn't. And the, the the trap it's not in the documentary too much, but it is in, if you read like Sondheim and co or one of those books, Ron field, the original choreographer who was fired, um, claims the whole time. And nobody really refutes him that he was like, the whole time being like, guys, this isn't, this isn't a thing. It's not, it's not working. It's not, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. And just people didn't, didn't listen to him. And he, eventually he was fired from the show uh-huh. and they're placing another choreographer. Um, and I don't know if that was for other reasons as well. And I don't also know if he was just trying to be like hindsight is twenty twenty. but you know, it's like an, it can be an emperor's new clothes situation a little bit where it's like, no, he was right. There's this, this isn't working on a very basic right. level.
0: Yeah, and I guess also the question of why why people need a good book, even though they think they need a good score. I mean, we've sort of been talking about that, but like, we um, maybe say more about that.
1: Yeah, I I think that well, it gets because the book again, like nobody nobody walks out humming the book as I, I've said mm-hmm. before, but the score is what sells. I mean, Be Mm -hmm. More Chill is an excellent example of this. Yeah. Be Be More Chill had its very limited run in New Jersey, but had a devoted group of fans. It had enough that they put out a cast album and that cast album blew up. Yeah. And had a slow, I mean, a slow blow up. It really like slowly over several years built to a phenomenon where it could no longer be ignored. And it's a great album. I mean, the Be More Chill score, the songs, the al- the original off you know, New Jersey cast production album is really well produced. It's got great voices on it. It's a really, really good album. But the show itself is incredibly flawed mm-hmm. uh, from a script standpoint, and it which is something I didn't know until I saw it. And so I was lucky enough to see it down here in DC and it was really great. And I was excited to see it and I loved the album and I was really, and and I really sat there, my wife and I sat there and watched this show and we got to the end of act one and was really just like, I was shocked how like the book was just not, it was not tight. It wasn't like, that is a very high concept show. Mm -hmm. And where you you know you have this character who takes who takes this drug and then then takes over their their lives and it becomes this whole you know metaphor for for conformity, but it 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 doesn't really do an excellent job of like telling me why I should like this guy other than the fact that he's he's our protagonist. The relationships between the characters is is very very cursory, but Joe Iconis' score rocks. I mean, it just absolutely bops from top to bottom and. I you know I, I think it will keep getting done and I don't see anything wrong with that but I do understand why it did not run in New mm-hmm. York because it's not as good as it sounds you know mm-hmm. it's one of those sort of problems and what can it's a common problem I mean there's there's lots of shows that I think we get these albums as theater fans I mean chess is a, not a bad example either you know chess was a huge hit in London uh, where it was more of an Opera, sort of sung through, very very like opaque and kind of dark ending. And when they brought it to New York, even though it was a big hit in London, I'll never understand this. They decided suddenly it needed a book, like a script, excuse me, and it needed dialogue, and it needed songs needed to be rearranged, and it needed to be more like accessible, accessible to an American audience. I don't get that at all. Um, yeah. We are pre Miz, so like that phenomenon hadn't. Or it happened yet when it opened in London, but we're post lame as when it opens in New York. So, anyway, I don't know. But the book they wrote the, the, for the New York production, surplanting the book, the sort of concept and the arc that Tim Rice had created in, in, the, in the West End, it, is garbage. It was absolute garbage mm-hmm. and very melodramatic and uh, just wishy washy. And then they've spent the last 40 years. Rewriting that, trying to find this like synthesis where it's like it's not the right. West End production, but it's the New York production, but and they're just they're never gonna make it to me because they got it right the first time.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: and they will yeah. not admit it.
0: I mean, I think that kind of speaks to like a, a a what's the word like a a drive in like American musical theater to put uh, traditional books onto things the not all musicals need a traditional book and some of no. them are but but to be on Broadway like if something's coming to Broadway like we need we need this traditional book mm-hmm. you know or else it it's like, like,
1: yeah
0: or else it it's very form. risky or experimental right. and like <laughs> we right. don't want to do that.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know. But again like I mean you there's 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 sort of like so much to so much to be lost on Broadway, so much to lose. I really should say um, when you, Mm -hmm. when you come to Broadway that I do sort of understand the, um, (laughs) that they're sort of playing with scared money, uh, a a lot of the time. And the idea to sort of homogenize and cookie cut and well, that worked last time. So let's do that this time. Um, gets, can get in the way and does get in the way of some like truly creative, uh, creative work. And and I also should say like the greatest refutation to my whole thesis sort of is the Phantom of the Opera, (laughs) (laughs) which has a garbage book. I mean, Mm -hmm. just like a really not well, like not well organized, uh, not well thought out sort of, uh, script and structure and and characters who are very, very poorly drawn. But what it does do, I mean, first of all, I think that show lives and dies on the sort of spectacle that Hal Prince hmm. designed around right. it. Right. Um, and also on its tremendous score. I mean, love it love it or hate Phantom, like th- those that score is really good and gets yeah. it all the right emotional, hits all the right emotional moments. And it plays on like, just enough archetypes obviously you know (laughs) phantom runs forever and ever and ever and or i mean it's closing soon but still it 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 doesn't it it really does not have a great book and you know all the you'll read a lot of things about why phantom is bad they will pin down on like well what is it really saying what are the characters what are their relationships all that sort of thing
0: yeah well let's talk about some other examples some other ways that um a you know a score a musical can have a score that sure. outshines the book.
1: Sure, what, one of the um, one of the examples I, I told you about is from is from this book, which if mm-hmm. you've never read it, you should absolutely the the Secret Life of the American Musical by by Jack Vertel, which is yeah. um, a wonderful book. If if you're a fan of music theater and you're interested at all in anything I've said over the last period of time, you should read this book, um, because it is really about how a musical is created, how musicals are structured and why some musicals work in his opinion and some don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with everything he says, but in the very beginning, he makes a very good point about the show Mac and Mabel and Mac and Mabel was, you know, it's Jerry Herman um, starring Robert Preston and, uh, and, and uh, Bernadette Peters about, you know, the, the movie producer, Max Senate and, and, and Mabel, his, his wife and, and star of, of most of his films in the silent era. And, um, it is it's a show that is a great example of nobody understood why it flopped because the score was great the album sold people loved the music but mm-hmm. it just didn't run and it didn't work and there was a lot of like why doesn't Mac and Mabel work I mean the reviews weren't great you know like yeah. n- nobody thought it worked but it was It was sort of like you know had this it was one of these phenomenons where it had this album and people would have the album be like why don't people do Mac and Mabel well, the reason that in, according to to the book, to the, to the book, The Secret Life of the American Musical, is that the book in that case and the score are from feel like they're from two different shows mm-hmm. where in the book of the, the example he cites is at the beginning that Max Sennett comes out at the beginning and gives this long monologue about how like movies aren't good anymore. Like they're not art now that sound is part of movies. They're not as pure as they used to be. Mm-hmm. And then he sings a song about how the goal in making movies is to make money, and we should be grateful we were all making so much money. And they're totally incongruous ideas. They have nothing to do with each other. Mm. And what that does is does not it gives the audience something to hang on to. They're, they're like, wait, is this guy who cares about art or does he care about making money? Now, you can do both, obviously, but like usually we put those two things against each other in a, in in our, our drama. Right. And if you don't let the... And then that the, that problem continues throughout. The show sort of has this like very bouncy, fun and very good Jerry Herman score um, with a book that just is, is trying to tell a sort of very dramatic story about an artist's suffering through mm-hmm. the changes of a medium and you can't have it both ways because it's a show, you know, you're like we were saying before, you can't ultimately separate them for your evening in the theater. You can put one on an album and one in a, in a text, mm-hmm. but you have to, they have to work in harmony. And I think that's the most, most often the the, the problem with a book is that it, it a book's problem is usually one of tone. And that's where you're, you're, the fact that they're written generally by two different people can become a big problem um where the the composer lyricist uh has one idea about how the show should should be and should sound and what it should be about and the book writer has a different idea and if you never reconcile that you can people have i have heard often the the book to in the heights kind of slagged off as being not very good it it got mm-hmm. some kind of middling reviews i think that is more to do with the dialogue than the actual structure of that story. But I also think it's to do with the fact that another problem you can have is when the score so incredibly outshines the book, just in terms of quality, you know what I mean? Like the score to *In the Heights is the star of that show.
0: Right. Yeah. And and that one was a, that's an interesting example because I think my understanding of how that show was written, that he kind of had, that score with the intention of having a book of it being a book musical and then she, then yep. Kara, who it is was kind of joins later in. to yeah to then like to write Yeah, he had like.
1: a he had I think he had characters and he had a kind of loose concept. Yeah. Um but mainly he had songs. Right. And uh yeah, I think you're absolutely right that then she was brought into give that story shape, give the scenes dialogue, give it like, so it is really coming in from two totally different directions. Yeah.
0: And like the, the story, I, yeah, I don't know how much of that story he had already kind of envisioned or how much was Mm -hmm. in there before she came um, in. But yeah, it seems like it, it does, at least when I saw it, it did have this feel to me of, like we need a story for these characters. Like yes. it was kind of written. It, it seems like it was written character first, in a way. Yeah. Like these are the character. These are the people in the neighborhood, <laughs> kind of.
1: <laughs> the people that you meet, right. Each day. Um, right? But
0: he like he wanted to write this musical about uh, these people, this neighborhood, and then it's like, okay, well, what's the story? well, we need a story, story, you know? And then that's the book.
1: The decision was also probably kind of made not to do too much with the book. Like, let's just let the book, like, Mm -hmm. sustain so we can get to the song. Like, let's just hold it kind of back a little bit. Um, And so I think that, when people saw that show, they they sort of if there was something to quibble with, you're gonna quibble with the book. Because mm-hmm. nothing else was you, you couldn't quibble with anything else. You right, know, the is right. great, the direction's great, the performances are great, score's great. So maybe the book could be better, like question mark. Because if you read the reviews, that's kind of what they're like.
0: I think we're so used to if you're gonna have a traditional book on a musical to have it be like a sto- like a story first type situation um Mm -hmm. where it's like this is the story you're going to you're going to be told and um like more like a a movie less like television like i feel like television Mm -hmm. is set up like these are the characters and like you'll be told like you'll be told uh these stories you know but it's really the stories are there to show you the characters um Mm -hmm. Whereas like a movie is more like plot driven. And I think sure. with, I, I don't know, I, this is, maybe this is just my experience, but I think with like more traditional books, I feel like I've been set up to um, have more of like a movie experience than a television <laughs> type of experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas like In the Heights to me feels like a television type of experience put onto a movie. It, it is
1: also it, it's a show it it's not thought of as a high concept show because it's it's a very easy to understand story but it kind of is a high concept show where you know what I mean by high concept is that there there's a big idea you have to buy into in order for the whole thing to work and wow. it's formed around this particular style of of music theater writing that the that, that Lynn does, which isn't, within itself revolutionary you know like certain songs are incredibly traditional mm-hmm. but it has a general rhythm and a feel and a and a like you say a beat to it and it and a character structure to it and that's what drives it and it's really hard to put anything on top of that where i'm going to care about like two characters talking about a taxi cab for a while like it's just <laughs> i'm not going to really you know what I mean? Or like, who's spray painting what on what? Like, what do you? Who's won money? I don't really care. Like, I'm just here for the whole, the whole experience and the songs. Like, I'm really waiting to get to the next song. And there are great books to musicals that are basically waiting to get to the next song. Sweeney Todd is a great example of a book where we are just trying to get from song to song as efficiently as is humanly uh, possible. Right. Uh, but Sweeney Todd has the advantage of being a a very interesting, dark and macabre story that has a very clear driving point where we have a like a character's hell bent mm-hmm. on revenge. So we have a very clear motivational move. In the Heights doesn't have that. In the Heights has we're gonna introduce all these characters. They're gonna mill around for a little while and then we're gonna have the blackout and the lottery and like stuff. You know what I mean? Like stuff doesn't mm-hmm. really start to happen in that show until very, yeah. very late. Mm-hmm. And then the whole second act, like Cooks, the entire second act of In the Heights is is like much more from a, from a plot and interest like a driving standpoint much more interesting whereas right. the first act we spend like the first five or six songs like meeting people in right. in the heights after an eight minute opening number where we meet everybody so it is a little like it's a little unusual in that sense um it's an it can be an example of a, a musical like that where we're building on a very strong concept and we just never quite get there like star is an example of that too but star mites is not a very good score so i'm like mm-hmm. it doesn't fit in our like discussion but right. there are there are some shows that like when i was thinking about this idea of like what are shows that that have better scores than books and also mm-hmm. didn't run for very long i mean you have shows like from the silly which is like it's a bird it's a plane it's superman mm-hmm. where you're like it's gonna be a superman musical or even spider man turn off the dark it's gonna be a spider man musical right great fund it now what's it about um, well, Superman does something, you know, like, and that's where you end. like, we, we started writing the score because it's a Superman musical or even like a show like, um, baby, which is mm-hmm. all about like the ins and outs of, of having a baby. Like, great. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Now we're, we're on our way. But, and we've, we've written some really good songs on this topic, but we kind of forgot to like piece them all together into a more coherent kind of narrative.
0: Should we move on to our next section? Sure. Um, why is this so good? I really like what the song we're going to talk about, Rich and Happy yeah. from Mowerly Lee on because it's a, a song that was discarded. <laughs> um, yes. But it's still, it's not like a cut. It is a cut song, but it exists on the, al- you know, original album. Yep. So it's still like a song that's, you know, it's in, known. In play. It's a known. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes, because it is the if you have an album of Merrily, you have the original Broadway one. I mean, mm-hmm. there are about four other ones you can get, and I do have them all. But if you just general music theater person have at some point acquired Merrily, you've gotten the original Broadway production with the Al Hirschfeld drawing and sometimes picture on the front, right, and. When I saw Merrilee at Kennedy Center for the Sondheim Celebration in early uh, in, 2000, in 2002, I, I took my then girlfriend, now wife, and she loved Merrilee and her favorite song was Rich and Happy. Mm. And I failed to prepare her for the fact that she was not going to hear it. <laughs> um, and it's the second song in the show. So she found right. out real fast that she wasn't going to hear it. She heard that Frank instead. Rich and Happy is a great song. I mean, it, it really, really is. It's a great Sondheim doing his thing of like, there's a lot of characters, There's everybody's got it. Like there's different motifs, there's different rhythms, there's several distinctive voices. There's a lot going on. And at no point am I ever lost and or confused about what's happening.
2: politics we were stuck on the freeway till half past six so we bought this little condominium great Smog life is swinging skies are blue and bells are ringing every day i wake up singing look at me i'm rich and happy days are sunny Working hard for lots of money Filled with people smart and funny filled with people rich and Happy who says lonely at the top I say let it never stop It's my time coming through All my dreams coming true Gorgeous house, gorgeous wife Who wants any more from life? Skies are beaming Future bright and prospects gleaming Best of all, I don't stop dreaming Just because I'm rich and famous And therefore happy too
1: And it really demonstrates for me the central problem of the show. And when I say problem of the show, I do mean actually like the problem they're going for, not not like the problem with like a, right. a thing that needs to be fixed. The, the central co- conflict of the show, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. which is that Frank doesn't have any friends. Sort of this is a character who starts with great friends and then alienates them. And at the end, at the end of the story, the beginning of the show, He has no real friends. He only has yes people surrounding him. And he's just produced this movie that's apparently terrible. And nobody will tell him. They always tell him, like, oh, the movie's great. And there's a whole great section where they're going, terrible, beautiful Frank. Wasn't it just terrible, beautiful Frank? Like, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. And it really makes him look like a jerk because he is a jerk. (laughs) And when the show failed there was this general consensus that like one of the reasons it failed is that Frank wasn't likable enough and we needed to make him more likable. And they replaced it with that Frank, which is a song about how Frank is a good guy. He's a fun guy. He's a nice guy. You know, like it's, it's, he's, and he's clearly unhappy in the song, uh, but it's a different, it's a whole different tone. And it is melodically very similar to rich and happy. Um, Sondheim just sort of riffed on that same basic, idea and and gave you that sort of boppy little, little number. So it's still very catchy. But it, it really is to me an example of like we said before, like great writers really missing the mark about mm. what was working and what wasn't. The problem with the show isn't the fact that we don't like Frank and Rich. Like Rich and Happy cutting Rich and Happy doesn't does not affect right. whether how good that show is. In fact, it, it lessens it I think again because it it takes out some of its teeth and Rich and Happy comes the closest to introducing the central conflict that any number comes to at the beginning of that show, and it just doesn't, I mean, that Frank is, is 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 almost nothing.
2: I said, Frank, this picture is a watershed. A I said, Frank, one day you'll run my studio. No. I said, Frank, will you listen to that response? I said, Frank really knows what the public wants. I said, Frank, this picture is a watershed.
0: Know what I'm happy. What? Not much fun. Party!
2: That <laughs> <laughs> Frank, the guy is too much. Hey, the party's inside. That <laughs> Frank, you like the picture? The platinum touch. How about some champagne, huh? He is tasty as Is he the best? Plus a fine head for business. The man is blessed. Not that Frank. Frank, so what do you do? He's full of advice. I drink. Frank, no no no, what are you really doing? Nice? I really
0: drink Yeah, what I like about Rich and Happy is that Frank is like in in the song more than mm-hmm. <laughs> more than that Frank. I feel like I just lose him in that Frank. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't have like much to sing in that, whereas in Rich and Happy he you get to know him. it's his song. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and you still get all the cacophony of the party, um, around him. And there's all that still, I'm looking at the, you know, finishing the hat book Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the lyric and there's a note in here that says that, that Sondheim put in that says that, um, for why they changed it was that, um, that rich and happy had been deliberately a kid's idea of a Hollywood party, whereas um, they were looking to establish like a different tone. They were changing it to adults, you mm-hmm. know, and they were looking to establish like a different tone with that Frank. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't get personally. I don't get from rich and happy that this is. A nope. kids' idea of a Hollywood party. <laughs> Not so, at all. Yeah,
1: having been to a couple Hollywood parties, that's pretty much exactly what they're like. <laughs> so it, yeah, there's a great joke about everybody doing a line of cocaine in the middle of the song. Like, it's a great mm-hmm. song. It's a really, really. It, it it's also if nothing else, it just I do get the impulse like because one of the big things they did when they when they moved it, like you say, they, they the original production was all full of people who were in their teens and 20s. Right. They recast it with adults because the the, the the younger actors really couldn't perform some of these songs like they really mm-hmm. couldn't. And that was a problem. But um, so that I makes sense. It. it also makes sense a lot that if you're going to a musical f- flops and you want to fix it, a great thing to do is change how it starts. That mm-hmm. is a, re- a really good impulse. Um, because they weren't going to change how it ends with our time. I mean, our time is a, a great finale. It's a great song. It's, it really says everything they wanted to say. So they've changed the opening. They cut this whole framing device they had of them being in the, the, the graduation of high school mm-hmm. graduation with Frank, come back to be the keynote speaker. And which is weird because then it, re- it releases the motivation for the title song to be performed. So now they just perform the title song, which is also <laughs> super weird. Um,
0: yeah.
1: But then, so, cause, that Frank is really our opening number in that version. And I think Rich and Happy, if, if you'd taken away the framing device, which I do agree with, I think that was a mistake uh, to have that sort of long protracted framing mm-hmm. device um, and just leapt right in with Rich and Happy, I think the audience would have been a lot more keyed into what was about to happen for the evening. Um, because you get Frank being aloof, you yeah. get the group being dismissive, and you get Mary being like this is bad like what is happening right here is is not great mm-hmm. and you still need to work like i think dramatically you need to work charlie into the opening number somehow but you know at least you have two-thirds of it the way there with rich and happy
0: yeah and what i also like about rich and happy is that you sort of get an i want song mm-hmm. here yes yeah. um you don't get with that frank I think, but, um, or maybe, maybe you do, but you don't really hear it from him.
1: Right. That's the thing So, like you said before, that was a really good point that like Frank's not in that Frank. It's about Frank. There's, they're, they're right. going, Hey, that, that Frank, Oh, that Frank, he's great. And he sings a little, but not a lot. And rich and happy is his song. Right. He kicks it off.
0: Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, cause he's, I, I mean the whole hook, like rich and happy, like this is what he thinks he wants. Yep so like look at me i'm
1: rich and happy yeah
0: yeah so like you to me this makes me feel like oh like this is this is a character this is frank this is the main character he wants to be rich and happy he wants this is what he wanted and i guess in like the structure of of going backwards like let's see how um you know things happen like to Mm -hmm. you know this is what he thought he wanted. How did that, yeah. you know, how did yeah. that how happen? How did you ever
1: get here? Get there from here? I mean, it is the the central. That's also, I hadn't thought about that, but it is kind of a, an I want song in reverse. That he is declaring victory. Um, that he has achieved everything. It's not an I want so much as an I have.
0: Mm-hmm. Or I made yeah. it,
1: you know, like I got it.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and he is wrong. You know, he's he's rich, but he is not happy. And I think it's interesting to watch that show because you are watching a character make a series of mistakes and, you know, he's going to make mistakes. He has to like that's Mm -hmm. part of the deal. Um, But he always makes his decisions always uh, that that affect him and make his life less good are always the selfish ones. Mm -hmm. They're always the one where he's acting against advice, doing things that his friends don't think he should do with from the minor in um good thing going where he makes charlie perform the song a second time even though charlie's mm-hmm. like no this is a good idea like we did it let's get off the stage and then it it just goes and go like the people start talking over them because it's not great right. um to him cheating on his wife you know with gussie with his producing partner's wife also like i mean just like horribly bad decision morally ethically and financially um and it is a moment that like everybody sees coming and they're all kind of like, we like, don't, don't do this. This is a bad idea. But like, he just really likes the people like him. And if somebody likes him, he can't, he gets so entranced by that. yeah. Um, so much so that he doesn't hear the truth, which again is all set up in rich and happy. He is not hearing the fact that like this movie sucks that he right. made and nobody likes it. <laughs>
0: yeah and it also sets up like um what he's singing and is the same as what everybody else is singing. so he's like kind of joined their mm-hmm. um, joined their group um, mm-hmm. instead of as with that Frank like yeah, they're talking about him but um he sings the rich and happy they sing we're happy um, right it it establishes that in in the song that he's he's with them now. Mm-hmm.
1: And he just yeah, and it's he's he's part of what I mean what is also described in another song as the blob. Right. This thing that like swallows everything. And uh, he's not it's not what he it, it it may have been what he wanted, but it's not what it, it's it, I mean one of the interesting things about Merrily We're All Along is that he wants Frank wants instead of success he kind of wants excess he wants everything he wants to have mm-hmm. it all and he can't you know he just you, you can't get everything and he never really understands why it, but uh, one of the great, most kind of endearing things about frank in the musical is that he never seems to understand why it isn't working for him you know what <laughs> i mean like he has a lot of like but like but I, but I, but I, but, I, but i want it so why can't i have it and it right. is I don't know if that's endearing exactly, but it is very human in a way of just being like, you really don't understand how much of a jerk you're being right now. <laughs> like you really don't get it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, fine. You know, like it is sort of whatever. Uh, <laughs> moving along. But uh, yeah, it, it is a, yeah. It Again, I mean, the show has a lot of problems it, and it's not like it was a great show and then they cut Rich and Happy and everything fell apart. <laughs> but... Cutting Rich and Happy, I think, was a rash decision based on trauma from mm-hmm. the fact that the original production was such a failure. I mean, because it really did. I mean, Sondheim almost stopped writing shows.
0: Right. There's kind of like a parallel to Our Time in this, mm. where he says, skies are beaming, future bright, future bright, and prospects gleaming. That's kind of like that same, like. Mm-hmm optimism hope for, the future. Hope for the future that is in mm-hmm. our time it, there it's kind of like a cool parallel to you know opening and closing in that way mm-hmm. um, he's just in such a different place but it's a little more it, it, it kind of makes me look at it as a like a little more like circular instead of like we're mm-hmm. just going in a backwards line. In a backwards, yeah.
1: <laughs> which is something that the framing device of the graduation actually does mm-hmm. accomplish as well. It it does feel cyclical.
2: Yeah. In a
1: sort of interesting way, which gives you like a little bit of hope almost in a kind of odd Hades town sort of way <laughs> where it's like we you, you you know this story has a tragic ending. But it's important to tell it. It's important to relive it. It's important to investigate it, because um, there are lessons to be learned here, and there is hope to be gained. Mm-hmm. That maybe like one of these times, you know, he won't turn around. I mean, that's right. Hades I'm describing now, but it is. There's something about that that can ge- that can make a bleak story hopeful. That the other productions would sort of end after our time, like you you applaud because our time just knocks you down it's such a great song but it's not an earned moment of like yay these right. people wait a minute they all hate each other oh you yeah. know like it, it, it's, it's not a great feeling
0: it's just a tragedy basically yeah it is
1: it's a tragedy and yeah. uh but told backwards so you sort of don't notice <laughs> <sighs>
0: to our final section something wonderful just Mm -hmm. something in the musical theater world that we are excited about and or want to give a shout out to
1: uh i'm gonna stay local to my my dc theater family um and say that if you're in the area and you heard about but did not get a chance to see only theater's production of beauty and the beast Um, You need to get out to only and see that Uh, you may have read about it. It it, it opened very, it it was in rehearsal, I believe, and then had to shut down because of the pandemic. And then they opened, it was one of the shows that opened right when everything came back and then had to close down again because, because COVID came back. And um, what's remarkable about it is it is beauty and the beast, you know, the Disney musical that you know and love. Uh, But, its casting is incredible. It stars uh, Jade Jones, uh, who describes herself as a uh, plus-sized queer black woman, as Belle, and uh, Evan Ruggiero, um, who uh, only has one leg. He lost his leg to cancer when he was a teenager, but he still could pr- pursued a career in dance uh, and decrees himself as Lord Peg leg, which I think is, is very funny. He plays the beast. And it really does, in the best way, an interesting thing with this very staid, usually white, beauty standard sort of Disney production, where it takes these two people who you would never expect to play these two roles, and they absolutely crush it. Mm. And it is a remarkable thing to see. It was a big hit when it was here, but it had to shut down, as I say, because the cast got COVID, so they had to close it. Mm. And so they're bringing it back now um they've uh it's an all if you know dc theater it's an all-star cast bobby smith sasha olnick tracy lynn Oliveira. um it's just great it's an excellent production only does such wonderful stuff and so if you're in town even if you're not uh come on down to to dc to go to only theater to see their production of beauty and the beast it is it is really really worth the trip it's so good nice that does
0: sound really great um I don't know that I'll get down there, but right. I, <laughs> I, well, it sounds like something I would love to see.
1: Yeah, I got to stay. I got to. I got to plug. I got to plug my crew here. I no, got to stay local definitely. to the to the gang. Yeah, it's running all Jan- November and and December. So come on down. If you're in New York, I'm excited to see Kimberly Akimbo and K-pop. That that's sort of my two like musicals I'm looking forward to up in New York, but
0: yeah. But down here, are, you know. Yeah, those are two good ones in New York for sure. Mm. Thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest, love this podcast, help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at scene song and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com and contribute on the new Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald, and be sure to check back in two weeks for the next episode.